Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Welcome to a brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos, with great programs featuring topics and guests that will encourage and inform. Today, Eric Barger will begin a brand new series helping Christians answer questions about socialism and what the Bible says about it. Later this week, Rob Linstead will be teaching on the book of Revelation, and Titus Kennedy will be here to affirm the authenticity of the Bible with the latest archaeological finds from the land of the Bible. Please help us spread the word about these great programs by inviting friends and family to tune in to Watchmen on the Wall. We are on almost 700 radio signals each day, as well as OnePlace.com, SermonAudio.com, and as a daily podcast. Thank you for introducing Watchmen on the Wall and helping spread the good news. Now, here's staff evangelist Josh Davis with today's guest. Marxism, communism, and socialism destroyed millions of innocent lives during the 20th century, and yet today we're seeing a resurgence in allegiance to this way of thinking. There's even some Christians who claim that the Bible endorses Marxism and these socialistic principles. Here to help us understand these important subjects is Eric Barger, the founder of Take a Stand Ministries. Eric has faithfully ministered God's truth for over 40 years, and he's been a frequent guest on the Watchman on the Wall radio program and has a long-time relationship with Southwest Radio Ministries. And he's got a wonderful DVD teaching available now called Socialism versus the Bible. Eric, we welcome you back to Watchmen on the Wall. It's my pleasure, Josh. Thanks for having me. Well, let's jump right into the content of this, because this is such an involved topic, and over the next couple of days, we're going to be unpacking this more and more and more. Let's start with the very beginning. Who was Karl Marx, and how did he develop the ideas that blossomed into socialism and communism and his viewpoint of Marxism? It really does come back to Karl Marx, and uh, I think we need to understand that. He lived in the 1800s. He was born in 1818, died in 1883. Never recanted the things he taught, but I think it's important that we see this from the very beginning. He founded something called the Communist League in 1847, and that was in London, England. He was an author. He was an activist. He was a radical. And uh, he wasn't alone. He had others around him. Uh, He was exiled to France in 1848. And eventually, both the Communist League and Karl Marx himself were banished from France and Belgium and from his native Germany. So his ideas weren't accepted by the, the masses, so to speak. He was against the free market system, against capitalism. I've always said, I thank God for for capitalism, even though it's it's got its problems as well. It does give us the uh, ability to be able to make money and to be able to uh, then use that money in the propagation of the gospel. And that's mm-hmm. maybe one reason why I would say I praise God for the free market system, even though, like I said, it's not perfect. We're not going to have a perfect system until Jesus comes and, mm-hmm. and takes control, reigns, and rules on planet Earth. But yes. he and another man, Frederick Engels, the two of them wrote something called the Communist Manifesto, and it's still around today. And it's, it's certainly something that uh, we should be aware of. If we think communism is dead just because the USSR is no longer, because it appears that some communist countries are willing to uh, be partially 
capitalistic, such as Red China. We have to understand that communism is a system that puts a few in control and they lord over the many then down below them. Hmm. So it's not a pure system where people all benefit from it. It does certain things. It destroys the human heart, our drive, our our desire to succeed. And so um who knows how many great inventions would have been would have been invented by people across the communist countries in the world over the last 150 years. Who who knows right. uh, how many more wonderful tools there would be if their drive to do those things had not been destroyed. But I think it's important we understand the Communist Manifesto, and it, it abolishes private property. Now, just start right there with number one mm. of the first of the 10 points in the Communist Manifesto, because there's no country that has ever successfully taken away the right for people to own stuff be that land or just private possessions. In Russia, you can still own land. So they're not truly a communist country. But we have to understand that was the goal of Marx, is to create a society where no one owned anything, where there was a progressive income tax, where they abolished the rights of inheritance and they had a confiscation of property that was owned by anybody outside the system. They established a national bank or would want that. And they want state control of all communications and the ability to travel, as well as if you owned a factory or land or resources, then you had to give those things up to the state as the state then instituted this truly communistic system. And they nationalized all the workers and they had a redistribution of the population where the government could move people around from place to place as they saw fit. And they had a mandatory public education system that educated people to follow these ideals. So that's the 10 points of the Communist Manifesto. You can see parts of those things alive, even here in in the United States and our culture. Yes. But um, it really comes back to a forcible overthrow of all existing social conditions. And that's that's a direct quote from Marx. That's what they wanted. And that's certainly what they tried to do. So Marx tried to institute these things, and he continued to preach those things until his death. And he and Engels put together these 10 points, and they are still out there today and still being looked at by people who believe that is the best system. They think somehow that, in fairness, that everybody at the bottom should be raised up and those at the top should be brought down. That destroys the human drive to succeed and to do things. And It has nothing to do with a ruthless condition of taking money out of people's hands or property. They think evening things out, but it's a destroyer much more than it is a benefit to those who have nothing or very little. Mm -hmm. And what you're saying is just so timely for us right now because we're seeing these kinds of ideas infiltrate our world and our world scene. I know I've mentioned here on Watchmen on the Wall recently how that the UN in their Agenda 2030 are using Marxist and communistic means to accomplish their goals. Like with zero hunger, they want to abolish private property ownership to achieve that goal. Give everybody equal access to farmland to create a world that's free of hunger. That's their goal. And we know that they're going to be pushing 
really hard as the year 2030 approaches to bring in this kinds of thing. So what you're describing for us, Brother Barger, is extremely timely. And these are things that Christians really need to grapple with. We need to understand what the Scripture have to say. Friends, we're discussing the DVD teaching Socialism versus the Bible from Eric Barger. And if you'd like to pick up a copy of that, you can call our ministry at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at swrc.com. Eric, how are socialism and communism connected? Does one lead to the other? Yeah, I, I think there's a convolution of all those terms together. Socialism is where Karl Marx started. Communism is really what he had in mind, and he proved that in several ways. One is he named he named the society that he wanted to use to try to to promulgate these ideas. He named it the Communist League. So it's it's just a matter of terms. And sometimes I think sometimes we have here in the West people who have never lived under that kind of system. We're looking for a particular term, and if we don't find the word socialism or especially communism, then we think there's nothing to worry about. We think it's really not what it really is. We have to understand what communism is before we can just discount anyone who's teaching its ideas. If we don't know what the ideas of communism are, we don't understand those 10 simple points in uh, the Communist Manifesto, then we are really liable to buy into some of them. And so one leads to another. A lot of countries become socialists in their thinking, and then slowly but surely they introduce communist ideas. As I said, no country has ever become purely communistic. That is, I think, an important point to bring up. There are several in in Northern Europe today that do have some of those leanings, but it's not that every country in that thinks socialistically or has a, a leader or leadership that embraces some of these ideas. It's not that every one of them are truly communist. Anytime we see socialism or communism coming, one thing it does, it destroys the heart of men who want to create, who want to produce. Like I said, who knows how many great inventions, the cure of diseases, mm-hmm. uh, great symphonies, all of those kind of things that we didn't get to hear because the heart of men were destroyed and were brought down rather than encouraged. We ought to encourage people to be productive, not for the sake of the state, but for the sake of the human heart. And hopefully that's what our our leadership here in our country would do. Sadly, we see people in higher education today who think they know better. And for being as educated as many of them are, I can't figure out how they haven't found out that no country has ever succeeded who has gone this direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's been nothing but implosion after implosion of socialist and communist countries, whatever they want to call themselves. When you look at the the leaders in higher intelligentsia, our professors in our universities, they are living in a, I guess, a mindset where it says, well, that's the, this is the, the best idea. Yeah, but the idea doesn't translate once you get it down to the common man. Once, it, once rubber hits the road, the car goes right off the road over the cliff. That's the problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, how did world leaders employ Karl Marx's philosophy and they brought it into practice, especially during the 20th century? We saw so much bloodshed in the name of Marxism. 
what is some of that history? I think it's very important that we learn from history so that we do not repeat those errors. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, and uh, there's once you begin to look at these things, you understand that there wasn't a differentiation between communism and socialism by Marx himself, nor by Engels. They looked at these ideas as really being one and the same. When a country decides that it's going to put the people to work, put them, try to make them all equal, you know, Josh, one thing I know about life at this point, I'm 72 and I've lived a, a long life and I've been had my eyes open to these things and been watching this, even though I've not spoken or done a message about communism and socialism until just recently. This is something that's been a concern to me. Mm-hmm. And, and I can tell you that when you try to make everyone equal, there's where the problem is. You know, we want equality in the way that everybody has a a chance to do things. And they have the opportunity to be able to create and produce and and to succeed and to, you know, be able to take care of their families and themselves and so on. But socialism and communism don't offer that to people. They want to try to make everybody equal. And equality in that way is not something that's ever going to work out. Marx really summed it up like this, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs. And so everybody has to put all of what they have in the big pot in the middle of the ring, and uh, then everybody else gets to take from it as the government gives it to them. So again, we have the few at the top that lord over the many at the bottom, and uh, it gives them the um, opportunity to build a class system. And therein lies one of the biggest problems of why socialism and communism don't work in nations. Mm. It creates a class system besides the fact that it destroys the heart and the drive and our human nature to succeed. It creates this system where there's a few at the top and you can never get beyond that. There's no way to actually move on beyond that point. And so that's maybe the biggest deal. Socialism itself, there's a few countries in the world that would call themselves socialists. This might be, and I'm talking about right now, currently, mm-hmm. So, and this might be a shock to some, Sweden leads the way. Wow. Denmark, Finland, Norway, and Iceland, those five countries are socialistic. Now, there's others out there, such as Nicaragua and Venezuela, to a certain extent, are communist or socialist. India, Portugal, Sri Lanka would be on the list as well. As far as communism or those who claim to be, China would lead the way right now. China, though it it tries to control its people, it doesn't control all of their possessions. And that happened, of course, in 1921 with Mao. And then we have North Korea, and it went on to Cuba, 1959, Vietnam, 1954, Laos, 1975, to the current time. And so those are nations that would be more communist leading. But again, none of them, none of them are purely communist. Russia is heading back there right now. Hmm. I mean, that's where Putin would love to take it. Right now, our eyes are on Russia because we're on the battlefield with, with them in the Ukraine. And if, if the leader of Russia had his way, he would take it right back to the glory days of the Soviet Union. Hmm. Putin is, has that mindset. He knows he can't do that completely, but he's, he's a socialist at heart, yet he knows he can use capitalism to be the engine to have the finances to bring his 
socialist, even communist leanings back into, into style, so to speak. But there's no style about communism. Millions of people ended up dead because of the, the, the efforts of the original communists. You look at what, what Joseph Stalin did. Stalin was a fascist as much as a communist. Socialism has never, ever won. It has never, ever produced a, a great country. It has never produced a country where the people are really sharing from the bounty and the wealth of that nation. Thomas Sewell, the, the great conservative thinker, and I believe he was a Christian also. I'm not sure. I think he was. But Thomas Sewell said, socialism sounds great. It has always sounded great, and it will probably always continue to sound great. It is only when you go beyond rhetoric and start looking at hard facts that socialism turns out to be a big disappointment, if not a disaster, end quote. Mm. And that's true. That's been true everywhere it's been tried. And so that's, that's kind of a look at what is happening around us today. I wish our professors in our universities here, by and large, I'd like to just take all of them, whether they're have leanings toward socialism or not, but I'd love to take all of them and just give them a crash course at the disaster that communism and socialistic ideas have left behind. Yes. That would be, I mean, if you could interview person to person, especially the people who they claim it helps, you would find out that many of those people always felt oppressed and the repression continued on and on and on, and they were never able then to ever succeed in the things, in the ways that communism promised it would help them with. So it's, a, it's an illusion. I think that's the case, and that's what Thomas Sewell, in that quote I just made, that is, that's what he was alluding to. Hmm. Friends, we're talking with Eric Barger about his brand-new DVD, Teaching Socialism Versus the Bible. We encourage you to pick up a copy by calling us at 1-800-652-1144, one 1144 or by visiting us online at swrc.com. And Brother Barger, if it doesn't work, and I think you've done a great job explaining why these things don't work, why do these concepts continue to be so popular, especially in higher education? Well, I think it's, it's like a, an illusion. It's a dream that many follow because they've heard a professor in a classroom that they had particularly had interest in or that that had a um, grip on being able to communicate to them. Many kids here in our universities are socialist thinkers. That's obvious. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious that the higher educational system in the United States has been a hotbed of socialism and communism. Now, it's not all. I don't want to lump everybody together. Sure. But certainly, that's what's happened. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. I have a quote here, and I'm going to get to that slide so I can give it to you exactly. Gallup poll in 2016, which isn't too long ago, indicated that 47% of Americans would vote for a declared socialist for president. Mm. Now, how did that happen? Mm. Only because people have the idea that, oh, yeah, I heard about that from Professor whoever, whatever his name was or her name. And uh, I liked them so much, and they were very persuasive in what they said, and they said this was the best system, so I will then follow their idea. I think everybody has to look at these things for themselves, and that's what I've tried to do in this DVD, is lay out how communism and socialism began, lay out who their original leaders were, 
from Karl Marx to those in Russia and so on. If you look at the leaders and then you look at the history, you wouldn't say that a great thing would be to have a socialist. What if we had a socialist who could sign executive orders and just sign them at will to change our system slowly but surely into a communist system? Well, we've had presidents who thought that way, but they weren't able to actually pull it off because we have a republic form of government. And therein lies one of the one of the greatest things, and we'll talk about this in our second program, but one of the greatest things is that we have this republic form of government. And I think we have to understand that when we hear the word democracy being used, it, it may not be the best thing. I'll give you some quotes on that, too, as we get to that second program. Yeah, and we're looking forward to continuing our conversation. Friends, we are visiting with Eric Barger, and we're discussing the DVD, Socialism versus the Bible. On tomorrow's program, we're going to continue this discussion as we turn to some of the solutions and unpack some more of the pitfalls with these viewpoints. And we encourage you to join us again on tomorrow's Watchman on the Wall program. Eric, we look forward to talking with you then. Sounds great, Josh. Thank you very much. More from Eric Barger is coming up on our next program. Make sure you get a copy of Eric's brand new DVD entitled Socialism versus the Bible. Helping Christians answer questions about socialism and what the Bible says about it, Eric Barger discusses socialism, communism, and the myth that the Bible endorses Marxism. Socialism versus the Bible is available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. You can also order on our website, swrc.com. This DVD is designed to help Christians answer questions about socialism and what the Bible states. Order Socialism versus the Bible today when you call 1-800-652-1144. Archaeologist and biblical apologist Clayton Van Hus comes now to share important information that will help you and I stay biblically grounded. I'm Clayton Van Hus, director of Affirm, the new apologetics branch of Southwest Radio Ministries. I would like to introduce you to Biblically Grounded, which is an upcoming podcast through Affirm, where we will talk about archaeology and apologetics. And so I want to give you an idea of what you can expect from Biblically Grounded. Archaeologists have unearthed a number of ancient texts that appear to recount the same events as several biblical accounts, including creation and the flood of Noah. Skeptics often use the similarities between these Mesopotamian writings and the biblical recording of events to claim that the authors of the Bible borrowed their stories from Sumerian sources. And while there are a number of similarities, there are also many differences. The parallels are better explained by a common origin rather than plagiarism by biblical authors. The Eridu Genesis is the oldest known written account of the creation of the earth, written sometime around 1600 B.C., The text is fragmentary and indicates that the goddess Nintur created humans to be the caretakers of the earth during a time in which there was no serpent, no scorpion, and as there was no hyena, no panther, no wolf, as there was no fear of attack, man had no opponent. The gods decided to send a flood to destroy mankind. The god Enki warns a human priest, King Ziosudra, about the impending flood. Ziosudra builds a boat, saving himself, his family, and a pair from each living creature. 
After the flood, Ziosudra disembarks from his boat with the animals, makes a sacrifice, and is granted immortality by the gods. The Enuma Elish, or When on High, is the account of creation according to the Babylonians, and likely dates earlier to sometime between 1300 to 1100 BC. According to the text, existence began with the chaos of the waters. The freshwater, Apsu, and saltwater, Tiamat, were the progenitors of the other gods. These lesser gods angered Apsu and Tiamat with their incessant noisemaking. A war broke out and a minor god named Ea killed Apsu. Tiamat created the dangerous creatures to destroy Ea and the other gods, or Anunnaki. Ea created Marduk, who fought for the Anunnaki and destroyed Tiamat. The body of Tiamat formed the sky and the earth. After forming the cosmos, Marduk created man from clay and his own blood to serve the gods with manual labor. Marduk then commanded the Anunnaki to create Babylon, or Eridu, and a tower of brick. The Epic of Gilgamesh tells the story of Gilgamesh, the king of Uruk, who befriends a wild man named Enkidu. After some adventure, the gods become angry and kill Enkidu. Gilgamesh becomes upset over the death of his friend and undertakes a quest to attain immortality. So while there are similarities and parallels between the literature of ancient Mesopotamia and the book of Genesis, there are far more differences. The Mesopotamian texts are based on a polytheistic pantheon of greater and lesser gods who are very much like the humans that they rule as opposed to the all-powerful creator god of the Bible. The deities of Mesopotamian myth are more like the superheroes and supervillains of today's action movies. They are imperfect. They are warring, they are petty people with superhuman attributes. The Bible records that God is an eternal being who spoke the cosmos into existence. He exists independently of his creation, which comes from his will alone. The first gods of Mesopotamia came from the chaos of the primordial waters and spawned the lesser deities. They then created the cosmos out of the remains of a dead god. Humans were created as lesser beings to work for the gods so that they could live lives of luxury. In Genesis, God sent the great flood to cleanse the earth from the rebellion of both man and spirit beings. The flood preserved God's creation and the line of man through whom would be born a savior. The cuneiform tablets of Mesopotamia present the flood as an angry God deciding to wipe out humans who were disturbing his sleep. It was another God who warned Utnapishtim of the coming deluge, and man survived in spite of the efforts of a God. The similarities between these ancient texts indicate a common origin. The differences show us that the Bible did not simply copy older traditions from another culture. When taken as a whole, these texts point to events that were remembered and passed down by different civilizations until they were recorded in the forms that we read today. They recall the same events, but are documented from different perspectives. So these are the sorts of things you can expect from Biblically Grounded. Make sure you get a copy of Eric Barger's brand new DVD, Socialism Versus the Bible. Helping Christians answer questions about socialism and what the Bible says about it, Eric Barger discusses socialism, communism, and the myth that the Bible endorses Marxism. Socialism Versus the Bible is available when you call 1-800-652-1144. 
Tomorrow, Eric Barger continues his series looking at what the Bible really says about socialism. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.